0: everybody, welcome to 10 by 9 Nashville on Zoom. So 10 by 9 Nashville is a Belfast originated monthly community storytelling night where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their life based on a theme. Every uh, event is free, of course online especially, and every month has a theme. So our theme tonight is Gone, uh, which we felt was appropriate in this particular season that we're in to have some stories of Gone. Um, so when we're doing 10 by nine, usually for the last seven years, and just so you know tonight, we are wrapping up seven years of doing 10 by nine every month. So it's really exciting to finish our seventh year. Our anniversary is next month. Um, so uh, when we've been, done these in person, there are nine people with up to 10 minutes each. Um, and, uh, but we're doing this on Zoom, so things are working a little differently. Um, the way it'll work on Zoom is that we're gonna do a nice crisp one hour event, which means we have six storytellers we have up to seven minutes each okay so it's a little bit different so you will be out of here within the hour we're always done right at an hour there will be no break during this unlike the normal 10 by 9 where we have two breaks because we're just doing one uh one hour of stories and less stories and less time, okay uh, a couple of things tech wise do keep yourself muted i was hearing some things in the background so check your computer and make sure that you have muted yourself you will um might probably need to talk uh during this to us but uh do keep yourself muted if you are willing we'd love for you to have your camera on because it's a very different experience for the storytellers now on stage storytellers get to see your faces we get to hear you laugh or react to our stories not so online so we the storytellers today will have absolutely no verbal or audio feedback from you at all which is very disorienting so it's great when they can at least see your faces so if you're willing to have your camera on and react in ways that would, you know, be helpful to a storyteller, actually show some stuff on your face, that would be great. Um, So that that should take care of that, I think. So um, final things to say. Oh, tonight, I just want to give you a word about tonight. Um, We're going to hear, I think, a good bit about loss, right? Our theme is gone. um, and We're in a season where this is happening to a lot of us. There are a lot of positives in in some ways in this season, but it's a season of loss for a lot of people. So I want to... I want to invite you to, um, to just sort of sit back and settle it, kind of settle yourself a bit and, and know that in this hour, you're going to get a bit of laughter, but you're going to get a lot of emotional depth and sincerity. And I think there's really going to be a beautiful evening in store for us. So I hope you're looking forward to that. So that's all I'm going to say at the start. We're going to start our stories. So our first storyteller, Melissa Ford Thornton, is the communications director for the historic Princess Theater Performing Arts Center a published poet, storyteller, and music lyricist. Melissa also kayaks, hikes, and runs, though she has yet to outrun a bear. And I imagine there are some stories involved in that part of the bio. Uh, this is her sixth story at 10 by nine. So give us some, uh, some snaps for, uh, for Melissa. All right, Melissa, all you, so unmute yourself.
1: All right, can you hear me? Yes? Okay, good. Um, I was seven the day that our parents informed my brothers and me that we were entering the witness protection program. Okay, no one had actually fingered a mob boss, but life as we knew it had just been thrown into the Pacific Ocean with concrete shoes on. Hoof, gone, there's your thing. Dad was being transferred by his firm, uh, and because he was being transferred, we were too, to the mountains of New Mexico from Los Angeles. Let me add some context. We lived within watermelon seed spitting distance of LA's beaches. We were born with sand between our toes and city lights in our eyes. By contrast, our destination, Cloudcroft, New Mexico, was located 9,500 feet above sea level. It was home to almost 500 souls, and that was during peak ski sea season. The library was a dented camper that arrived from Albuquerque every other week, causing quite the stir. Now if you're wondering what we were doing there, so were we. Dad's new assignment involved tracking satellites with a high-powered telescope at an observatory. So the entire point was for him, and therefore us, to be as far from city lights as possible so he could get clear images of space. Um, it was, it was beautiful country. Now, um, if you're you know, wondering what the Lincoln National Forest is like, that's where Smokey the Bear was found. Remember the poster mammal for the U.S. Forestry's, forestry's only you can prevent forest fires? Yeah, that little guy, he was cute. But the black bears that roamed the edges of New Mexico were not so cute. There were posters everywhere in Babe's General Store the post office, the school cafeteria warning us don't feed the bears and dire tales circulated about chickens being eaten alive and screen doors clawed. I know this all sounds really exciting but um, we couldn't ski, we didn't like the cold and the nearest movie theater was a hundred miles away. So to cheer us up our dad bundled all of us one Saturday night into mom's Ford Woody station wagon and drove us to the dump yeah i'm talking about the place where we're trash rots uh there's no darkness like a moonless mountain night dark the station wagon's high beams were focused on the trash pit and we sat fascinated as the massive mama bear and her cubs slowly materialized from the tree line They were in search of a midnight snack, so they were foraging through potato peelings and soup cans and steak bones. Their musky primal odor reached us through the heater vents of the station wagon and we shivered, crossing our fingers that our scent, human fear that was thinly disguised as awe and wonder was carrying upwind. That night, I dreamed a giant bear climbed in my window and ate my stuffed animal collection. But bears hibernate, so winter slipped into slushy spring. This was up in the mountains. There was a lot of snow and slush and yuck, and uh, we didn't see any more of those beasts. No more beast sightings. And we found our rhythm. My mom began teaching at the school. There was only the one school. My brothers joined the track team. Our whole family learned to square dance. Not proud of that. But mornings were frantic things. Dad was still at the observatory, and Mom was scrambling to get four kids awake, fed, and out the door. Earlier than necessary for students, but that was essential for teachers. Every weekday, my eyes opened, and I could smell burnt toast, and I could hear Mom's hollers. If you're not in the car in two minutes, I'm leaving without you. That is, until the morning I woke to a house gone silent. Maybe it was the weekend, I thought. No, my school dress and my snow boots were laid out for the for the school day. I crept to the top of the stairs. There were no breakfast noises, no smell of burnt toast. Mom and Dad's room was empty. My brother's rooms were empty. The driveway was empty. The station wagon was gone. I threw my parka over my PJs and grabbed my snow boots, flew out the door, and down the rutted road that led to town. It was eerie. There wasn't. A single sign of human activity the entire three-mile trek. But on the highway leading out of Clydecroft, leading out of town and away from me, tractor trailers were lined up. My mind scrambled to make sense of things, and then it clicked. I understood. Bears had invaded town, and we were being evacuated. I was only seven years old. Panicked, I hopped on the running board of the first truck to stop at our single red light in town. The driver opened the door, what in the world? And through snot and tears, I managed to alert him to our state of emergency. Bears are coming, we gotta get out of here. I know, this is where you jump to the conclusion that my body was left by a serial killer in a shallow grave by the dump. But I'm telling this story. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. That truck driver, his name was Hal, I know you wanted that detail, drove me to Cladcroft's lone diner. The owners knew him, they recognized me, they knew everyone, of course they did. It wasn't yet 5 a.m. when the diner's owner phoned my mom, drawing her from her first coffee and cigarette of the morning. You missing a little girl? (laughs) No, she laughed, and then horrified, she noticed my parka was missing. That day began early and in terror, but it ended in relief and laughter. Seems while I was running from bears through a not yet awakened town, my mom was dropping my brothers off to meet the bus for a track meet. We sat in the diner, mom's hair was all askew and I was sipping cocoa and bursting with pride as truck drivers told and retold the story about this brave girl who saved their town from bears. By the next spring, we were moving again to another small town, but this time in Alabama. It wasn't the beach, but our trepidation was gone because now we knew that, you know, in places where everyone knows your name, small towns, people have big hearts, hearts that stick together and make sure their neighbor's kid returns home safely come high water or bear invasion.
0: Matt, for <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much. Really appreciate your story, Melissa. So I want to ask people this question after each story, just for fun, kind of to tie into the theme. But before COVID happened, where is the last place that you'd gone that was like exciting outside of your own town?
1: Exciting was Washington, D.C. Yeah.
0: Okay. And what were you going for?
1: Um, I went with Christy James, who's also told stories here. She and I have a podcast together and we went to interview a guest.
0: And what's the podcast? Tell us about that real quick.
1: Um, it's Tree of Trust, True Stories on Tough Topics Shared with Respect and Hope, Mental Wellness.
0: Love it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for your story. All right, so I'm going to introduce the second storyteller in a second, but I'm going to try something new for this 10 by 9 on Zoom, trying to figure out what can we can we do with this ability to kind of interact a bit. So I have no idea if this is going to work, but I'm just going to try it anyway. So if you've ever taken a writing workshop or writing classes or anything, sometimes you can get a prompt that's called a two-sentence story. Uh, so the idea is that you have to tell an entire story just in two sentences. And we're not talking about like a million run-on sentences that count as one, but like two proper sentences, but be able to tell, kind of getting to the meat of a story. So what I'm, I want to give you all a writing prompt to do, and uh, the prompt is think about, as you're listening to these stories, if it inspires anything for you related to the theme gone. See if you can write a two sentence story for me and then uh, round about after the fourth story, I'm going to read some of these out loud. So if you think of any, uh, go into the chat box. If you open that chat box, you're going to see a little blue kind of uh, bubble that says everyone. You can click that and then you'll click my name, 10 by 9 Nashville Michael, and you can send me a private chat. Okay. So you can click the chat box, click everyone, change it to 10 by 9 Nashville and then be able to, uh, to send me a private message. So anytime between now and the fourth or fifth story, if you think of a really good two sentence story from your own life that ties into the theme gone, send that to me and then I'll read some of those out after. I just want to see if, if this could be a successful little writing experiment for us. So, uh, but still listen to the stories because that's important. Uh, great. Uh, okay, before our third storyteller, we did this the last time, it's just kind of fun. If you'll open the chat box and put in where you're calling in from, and then also uh, like how long you've been listening to 10 by 9 stories, whether that was in person or on the podcast or whatever else. So put in there where you're calling in from and how long you've been listening to 10 by 9, and I'd love to see who is coming from the farthest. Um, so we'll just take a second. Seattle, the first time. Well, welcome. Glad you're here. Two months from Los Angeles, fantastic. We got a Nashville, saw about a year ago. Great, Nashville, a couple of years. Lakeland, Florida, three years, oh, fantastic. Oh, my wife, 2014, yay. I met my, my wife uh, six years ago tomorrow at 10 by nine. Uh, and the theme, the night that we met was, I was never the same again, so come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. She's now putting our baby to bed, who's three months old. So it's worked out pretty well. Uh, Thank you, 10 by 9. Uh, great. So North Carolina, first time. Huntsville, Alabama. Fantastic. Sparta, about a year. Goodlipsville, three years. Great. Anyone out, anyone calling in from farther than Seattle? Is Seattle the farthest that we have on the call? Just post in the chat box if you're from farther. Oh, Alicia, this is your one-year anniversary. Yay. Harrisonburg, Virginia. How fun. My brother lives in Harrisonburg out in Kieseltown. That's great. Florida. Okay, great. Yeah, I think Seattle may take the gold. So thank you so much to Seattle. Was that uh, Elizabeth? Is that who that was? Uh, Yeah, Elizabeth Caller. So thank you so much for calling in from Seattle. Uh, You're very welcome to 10 by 9 Nashville. Great. Okay, well, if you do have a two-sentence story, then of course you can put that in the chat box to me. Looks like maybe I have one so far, so I'd love some more if you have any others. On the theme of Gone, just put it in the private chat for me. All right, next up, uh, Bill Hall has told stories several times with 10 by 9 The Moth, and Ark stories. He and his wife travel extensively and document their journeys on their website, www.adventure31.com. This is his third story.
2: Give some snaps for Bill. Okay, I'm unmuted now. Here we go. I grew up in the coal fields. Um, during college, in the summers, I worked in the coal mines. Uh, there were a lot of people that had expectations that this would be my life's work. My senior year, my summer job was at a mine called Buchanan, and I ran something called a unit train loadout, which was a, a big bundle of machines and chutes that loaded coal into train cars at a very high speed. Um, I had a standing job offer from the company uh, and I had one more semester to go and I told them, I says, look, I've got one more semester, let me go back, finish my degree and then we can talk. Well, because I was going back to school, I had to train someone to run the big machine that loaded the train cars and they gave me Jack. Now, Jack was another guy on the crew, he was a good guy. And Jack and I worked for about a day and and he was doing a great job. And we were doubling back, which means we were catching a second shift. And the superintendent, who is like the big boss at the coal mine, came down to check on us, see how training was going. His name was Tom and Tom said, hey, let's go up on the walkover bridge, which is a big metal bridge that went up and over the, the railroad cars. And he says, we'll watch Jack for a while. It was at time of day, very similar. I'm, I'm on my front porch, it's very similar to right now where the sun's almost down and it throws that gold light on everything that makes it look very different than it did just a while ago. I had been dating a woman who was a physician at a local hospital and she wasn't from there and she moved back to where she was from and i was going back and forth to see her tom the superintendent he point blank me says so are you going to take the job we offered you or are you going to move up north with the doctor lady Well, I said, I really haven't decided. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point. It was true. I, I hadn't. And Tom said to me, I want you to think of one thing before you make that decision. And the thing I want you to think about is right now, in this town, in this job, in this industry, right now this minute, this is as good as it will ever get. As the alcoholics say, this was my moment of clarity, that point in time when everything makes sense and is understood. In my moment of clarity, I knew one thing, I was gone. I finished school and I moved up north. Things didn't work out with a doctor, but I met someone very special. We've been together now for 35 years. We have family, we have uh, seen, we've done, we've traveled the world. I've driven race cars at famous racetracks. I stood on a mountain in the French Alps looking down the valley at a place that I had read about as a child, but never expected to see. All of this hinges on that single moment of clarity. I'd like to thank Tom but I can't. He died of cancer. As for the town where I'm from, every time I go back, there's less than the last time. I'm preparing myself for the time I go back and there's nothing left. I I don't have a problem with those who stayed. We, We all choose our own path, and while that was the path for some, it was not the path for me. Where that town's concerned, where the job's concerned, that place, for 35 years at the present, and for the rest of my day, I remain gone. Thank you, Bill.
0: Appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. What, uh, so a- same question as the others. So where was the last place that you'd gone before COVID
2: lockdown? The Azores which is a chain of islands about 900 miles off the coast of Portugal in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Now, are NASA. there commercial
0: airlines that fly there? Or did you have to take like a little charter plane?
2: No, there, there are commercial airlines that fly there. We flew from Portugal. Uh, we had uh, been through Europe and our last stop was Portugal. And we flew from Portugal to the Azores and spent three or four days in the Azores, which was simply phenomenal ever get a chance go it's like hawaii without the tourist sounds
0: fantastic well we just went to hawaii last year and Brittany and i absolutely adored it so maybe we'll go to azores next oh do see thanks very much bill yeah thank you appreciate thank you all right next up pam smith is a lutheran pastor serving the good folks in lakeland florida pam had been in nashville and is grateful for that time that she was here she and her sweet cat, Sadie, luxuriates in the tropics. This is Pam's third story. Please welcome Pam Smith.
3: Thank you, thank you. Gone. I answered the phone. A voice I'd heard before from the medical examiner's office said, may I speak with Pam Smith, please? This is she. Ms. Smith, I have good news for you. Your mother died from pneumonia. Um, wasn't sure what the appropriate response was to that. The last conversation that I'd had with the ME's office had been in judge's chambers a few weeks earlier. It was a hearing to stop the examiner from doing an autopsy of my mom's body. The judge made his ruling. He could not stop it. All hope of preventing this brutal exploration of her body was gone. Only a few days after mom's death. I had my first conversation with this good news bearing minion of the medical examiner. He determined that an autopsy was necessary to medically document the cause of my mother's death death in a nursing home 79 years old suffering dementia and paraplegia and unending urinary tract infections. An autopsy for pity's sake? Why in the name of all that is holy did they need to dissect her body to determine the cause of death? Mom died in Florida where she lived with us after her retirement some years prior. I had a funeral to plan here. She had moved from Minneapolis where she had lived in the same house for 40 years. I had a funeral to plan there. And in the midst of planning these two distant funerals, I needed to coordinate her burial at Fort Snelling, a national cemetery, over President's Day weekend. Not one thing was easy about those days. All this was front and center in my mind in that first phone call with the minion. In that call, I was pretty forthcoming about mom's medical condition, yeah? She suffered with dementia, yeah? She'd been treated for colon cancer, yeah? She'd broken a hip, likely from osteoporosis. This exacerbated her paraplegia. For all intents and purposes, mom was confined to a wheelchair, and then those incessant urinary tract infections that plagued her for years. Well, the minion wanted to explore the paraplegia, and the examiner's theory of the case was beginning to emerge. What caused the paraplegia, he asked. I paused before I tried to explain that which I did not fully understand. In 1955, my mom decided to end her life. She shot herself in her gut. She lived, but with spinal cord damage. And the effects of this damage worsened as she aged. Her mobility decreased, her urinary function worsened, and those infections, unending, one after another, antibiotic upon antibiotic, lab after lab, poke after poke, prod upon prod. The nursing home wanted to insert a central line to more easily administer IV antibiotics. Finally, I said, no, no more. Let this gentle woman be. And there was no further intervention. She died a few days later. It seemed that an untreated urinary tract infection ended her life. But back to the conversation with the minion. He questioned me in that first phone call. How did I decide to not have the central line put in? Why did I decide this? Had I considered other options? Questions perhaps seeking information yet dripping with unspoken accusation. Finally, I asked him if I needed to have legal counsel. Well, he said, I can't stop you. And that conversation ended abruptly. I sobbed and shook in disbelief. Over the coming days, the ME's theory became clear. It was a series of dominoes. Mom's UTIs were the result of her paraplegia. Her paraplegia was the result of the worsening of her spinal cord injury. Her spinal cord injury was the result of a desperate decision made 50 years earlier when she wished that her life was gone. Their theory was that my mother died by suicide. Preposterous. They wanted to reduce her to the worst decision of her life. We've heard it said that on grave markers, there's the date of birth, August 24th, 1926, and the date of death, January 28, 2005, and the dash in between, the dash where the life was lived. And they wanted the dash of that life gone. The dash that included lengthy rehab so that she could come home to me and dad, the dash that reflected her life working full time in the 1950s, the dash that held birthdays and Christmas trees and anniversaries, the dash that was full of courage and perseverance and persistence. No, damn it, that dash would not be gone. The irony of the Minion's call bearing the good news of mom's cause of death was matched only by the words of the funeral director in Minneapolis, where the service was complicated by the litigation, the autopsy, the autopsy that hadn't been performed and a burial that could not be scheduled. Yet, as the memorial service had ended, we were preparing to head to the airport. The funeral director came to me and discreetly said, I know we didn't expect this, but mom has just landed at the airport. Nope, not gone, audaciously present. And by the way, happy birthday, mom. Thank you.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Pam. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Happy birthday to your mom.
3: Thank
0: you. Uh, uh, so the question as well for you, where was the last place you'd gone before COVID lockdown?
3: Well, I'm, can I tell you two? One of them was sure. to Orlando, Florida for a, um, a church workshop that was fine. But more interestingly is the travel that I'm not able to make because of the pandemic. I had to cancel a trip to Chile. Um, in December, where I was going to see the solar eclipse. Oh. Yeah, that was, I'm still was more, than, of it's course. gone.
0: Is, it is, yeah. In Orlando, was that the, um, was that in January? Was that CPC by chance?
3: It, no, it was Ignite the Church. Okay. Yeah, I that was- I was wondering
0: it. if we were at the same conference, so. <laughs> I,
3: it was small enough that I think we would have noticed that,
0: yeah. Probably, yeah, okay, fair enough. Great, well, thank, thank, thank you. you so much, Pam. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next story in just a second, but just a word after the last story. Don't just sign off the call because a couple of fun things are going to happen. One, I'm going to tell you what the next theme is for September, which if you've been to 10 by nine before you probably know because we do the same thing every September on the anniversary of starting 10 by nine, uh, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, The second is that you get to hear what we call the understory, which is where my uncle Rob, who's the guy leaning close to the camera furiously writing at the moment, (laughs) waving, uh, he listens to the stories just like you are. He's never heard them and he takes notes on what he hears in the stories and he sort of puts together this little summary uh, of each of the stories and then feeds it back to us at the end of the night so we get like a little walk back through the evening. So it's a really uh, delicious kind of little treat that we get at the end of the night. So do stick around to get to hear Rob's understory. It's always great. I do have, uh, I've gotten a couple of two-sentence stories so far. I'll read you one, and then I'll read you the next one in a minute, and maybe uh, after you hear these, you'll have some ideas. So this one comes from Susan Schaefer. Frantically and fueled by fear mixed with bravado, I hoisted the gray vinyl suitcase and stuffed it with the essentials. Barbie, Ken, the Partridge family album, my hairless doll, and of course, my ballerina musical jewelry box. I ran quickly past the kitchen out the back door, under the clothesline and over the fence, escaping my mean neighbor's chihuahua, until I reached safety, found three doors down to my destination, my best friend's house. Finally, I was gone at last. So snaps for Susan, thank you for that two sentence story. If you have your own two sentence story, do send it to me in the private chat and I'll share it in a minute. I'll share the other one that I've got after this next story. All right, next up, Ty Powers grew up in Oklahoma, Texas, and Mississippi, and has been a Nashvilleian since 1994. An editor for the Lord at a local publisher, he gets really uncomfortable when animals look at you like they know exactly what you're all about. This is Ty's 10th
4: story at 10 by 9. Let's welcome Ty Powers. Thanks, everyone. Everyone can hear, right? Um, just a cat. She was a black and white domestic also known as a tuxedo cat so we named her chessie after a chess board we did not play chess or even checkers but the name stuck chessie was a very intelligent cat i don't know about your cat but chessie knew how to spell and here's how we found out one day my wife gabby who was now my ex-wife that doesn't matter but she noticed a mark on the floor and it looked like someone had taken a magic marker and written the letter C on the floor and we were like what the heck who came in here and wrote on our floor well imagine us we're standing over this letter C very perplexed getting closer and closer so I got down on my hands and knees finally and got this close to it All it took was one whiff. Oh my God. It was a poop smear in the shape of a letter C. So, Chessie has worms. Oh my gosh, Chessie has worms. Wait a minute, maybe she's trying to tell us something. Maybe she's trying to spell something. I was like, yeah, she's trying to spell Chessie has worms. Well, that doesn't make any sense because why would she speak in third person like that? That doesn't make any sense. Well, anyway, we rushed her to the vet and you know what the vet said? He said, your cat doesn't have worms. She's just lazy. And maybe a little too ample to clean herself. Yeah, ample and lazy. I mean, what did he know, Mr. Animal Doctor Man? Anyway. So basically, she was a little too chunky to do the turkey leg thing and clean her kitty bottom. So, but we always told herself when she would do that, you know, that boot scooting thing that animals do across the carpet, across the driveway, across the the front yard, across whatever, she was merely trying to communicate through the written word, the written language of butt, I guess. So, for more than 12 years, Chessie filled our lives with that kind of hilarity and love. And, you know, she gave us all the insane kitty presents that most cat owners are very familiar with. The gifts included the bottom half of a squirrel, um, a dead snake that, heavens to Lazarus, was not dead at all and then a vast array of rodent organ meats. No rodents, just their innards. We still do not know how she pulled that off, but it was always the same thing. Now, when she was about nine and a half, she developed kidney problems. So at that point, we had to start administering um, weekly fluid treatments. Now, Gabby and I were squeamish, and so it became part of my regular routine every Saturday. Take the trash out, empty the dishwasher, take Chessie to the spa. So that lasted for two and a half years. Now, those of you who have had pets and have had sick pets know that the ine- inevitable comes. And even if your pet is healthy, we typically outlive our pets. So at some point she started to decline. So. We knew that it was coming, but it's, we still weren't quite prepared for it. So basically she stopped eating a lot, you know, just consuming barely enough to stay alive. And so I remember it was a Friday. She had been at the vet for about four days and she got to come home, but she got violently ill when she got home. And it was at that moment that we decided, and this is a rite of passage for humans, I think, we decided, okay, it's time, you know, no more suffering, little one, no more suffering. So our last hours together as a little family were very special. Uh, That Friday night, the three of us gathered on the patio to enjoy the breeze. And there was a nice canopy of stars above us. Gabby sat in the doorway and I lounged on the ground with Chessie, just a few feet away. And she was sort of staring off into the distance, you know, and I bet she wanted to explore the woods, but she just couldn't muster up the strength, you know. She was sick and, but there was still something very regal about the way that she sat there. You know, that that sort of ancient, wild adjacent untamed feline thing that all cats have you know that thing that says i'm not a dog i'd rip your face off if you weren't feeding me that type of thing she still had that and so saturday comes and so before we went to the vet she got to sharpen her claws on the mat and then she found this little spot of dirt out in the yard And she got her head dusty enough to look silly, you know, making us talk in our baby voice to her. And then she basked for a few minutes and then we went to the vet. It was really interesting. In the car, we really struggled to tell her how much we loved her. You know, the sadness was just so, it just stamped our voices into our throat. And we could not get the words out. So we didn't. And so at the vet, we weren't rushed, but of course it just happens so fast. You know, there was a shot, little shot in her haunch, and then um, a few final strokes on her head before she fell into a deep sleep and then passed away. I have to say I've never heard my wife cry like that, like I did that day. It was loss in the shape of a sound Somehow. And it was unlike anything I'd ever heard. So the ride home was one of the loneliest rides I've ever been on. I mean, we were devastated. So on Sunday morning, after, you know, we were cleaning up her living space and we got rid of the litter box and stored the carrier, you know, we realized then, oh my God, we never got around to thanking her. We were so grateful for the way that she graced our lives. So we sat on the stairs and cried for a long time. And 12 years later, I still miss that damn cat. If there's a cat heaven, you know, I'd like to think she's up there disemboweling mice all the live long day. Um, Obviously, cat heaven really sucks if you're a mouse. So maybe cat heaven is mouse hell at the same time. I don't know. Um, But a funny thing happened shortly after that. We ordered Asian takeout and we were standing in the kitchen and we both got all weepy when I read my fortune cookie. And here's what it said. To love and to win is best. To love and to lose is second best. Yeah, love is all about winning and losing. You know, just a coincidence. I don't know, just a cat. And thank God, never, ever, really, completely gone. Thank you. Thank you, Ty. Always a delight to have you on. Appreciate you sharing.
0: Oh, you're welcome. All right, where, uh, where had you gone before COVID?
4: I went to Lebanon for an oil change. Lebanon, (laughs) Tennessee, or Lebanon, the country? (laughs) Lebanon, Tennessee. Lebanon, Lebanon. Then you got to get Lebanon. I went to Lebanon. I went to Lebanon, (laughs) Tennessee, for an oil change. Before that, before that, I went to Natchez, Mississippi, and that was a very cool trip. But that was, yeah, that was the last time I went out of the state. Okay,
0: is that where the Natchez Trace ends? Is in Natchez, Mississippi? Yes, or begins
4: one of those. Yes, begins
0: one of those. Okay, did you drive it from Nashville?
4: Yeah, I did. Spent the night in uh, Birmingham and then what made it down to Natchez. It was a good trip, and right there on the Mississippi. And it's a you know a very interesting town with lots of you know storied antebellum mansions, and a you know it's fascinating. Supposedly too beautiful to burn was the was the saying about it. Great. Thanks so much, Ty. Appreciate
0: you sharing that. I was trying to silence this phone. I'm at my grandmother's house and she still has landlines. Uh, So (laughs) it it was (laughs) ringing. I didn't even think about that when I came over here. Uh, So, anyway, appreciate that, Ty. Thank you very much. Uh, We've got two two sentence stories to share with you before our final storyteller. This is from Diane Baines, who lives in Northern California where they're currently facing devastating fires again. So she says, I keep remembering three years ago when we faced yet another raging wildfire here, and I spent six terrifying hours frantically searching different shelters packed with terrified victims from my 94-year-old mother who was living in a senior living apartment, and I finally found her. There's Diane Baines. Well done, Diane. Thank you for sharing your two-sentence story with us. And then the last one that we have comes from Alicia Handy, who is a storyteller with us quite often and actually hosted last month. Uh, with uh, Sally Mkoa. The boy I thought I loved when I was 17 called me while I was packing for college to say that he'd been dating a 32-year-old woman he met during his internship at his mom's job and that he'd been telling his parents he was with me while he was out with her. By the time his 18th birthday came a few weeks later, he was gone, living in Chicago with his real girlfriend and her 13-year-old daughter. There's Alicia Handy (laughs) Snaps for Alicia. You might wanna flesh that out into a longer story for us at 10 by nine sometime, Alicia. I think think we'd all like to know a bit more. Uh, Great, thank you so much. All right, we have one more story. Uh, And then again, don't leave just yet because we're gonna tell you about the next theme and then uh, get to hear the understory. Kayla Young is a Nashville native who recently relocated to Los Angeles to work in television production. Her favorite artistic works range from Shakespeare's Hamlet to Kendrick Lamar's The Pimp a Butterfly. This is Kayla's first story at 10 by 9. Welcome, Kayla.
5: Thank you. Um, This story is called Invisible Women. When I got to college, I had no idea that I had no idea what to expect. In the beginning, I was one of the only I was the only black student in my major. One of three in my minor, one of seven in my whole dorm, one of a few in each of my gen ed classes, and one of one in my friend group. It was the beginning. I hadn't made any friends yet. I bring this up because while I had been the only black person in the room many times before in my life, this four year experience was a very different kind of being the only black person in the room. It felt equally like all eyes and no eyes were on me at the same time it was like that dream you have where you're naked in the middle of a classroom except you're invisible the whole of you is laid bare yet no one is bearing witness to it both truths existing in defiance of each other haunted me was i real was i here how could so many people really not see me These questions were my internal soundtrack for most of my first year of school. And honestly, I blame my high school English teacher for gifting me a copy of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man at graduation. That couldn't have helped. It wasn't until I met my first new friend that I even started to feel seen. She was from my state, but a smaller town just 30 miles away. She was black like me with beautiful brown skin, the sweetest buck tooth smile, and dark dyed red hair. Yes, red, she wore it well. She was smart, she was friendly, she was funny, and she saw me. For the first time in weeks, someone saw me. Within the first month of our freshman year, we joined one of the only clubs that made sense at the time, the Black Student Association. We were, after all, Black students looking to associate with others, so this seemed like a logical fit. BSA is where I found my home and my family on campus. We looked out for each other and took care of each other always. The BSA motto is we're more than an organization, we're a family. It was a tight knit bond and a needed one too. Who knew what validation could come from hearing the same stories and experiences from others? I suddenly didn't have to feel alone, alone. It wasn't important that no one really had the answers I was just relieved that at least somebody had the same questions. A home isn't the only thing she helped me find. She helped me build my self-confidence, too. For the first two years of college, I would go to her room, sometimes once a month, sometimes once a week, and she would cornrow my hair for me. I'd wash it before in my room and then scurry across the hall with dripping curls, a towel around my neck, and four different kinds of combs cradled in my arms. Sometimes I'd bring food or a little bit of money as a way to say thanks. Mostly, I just brought myself and my wet hair. We would talk and laugh and watch TV shows playing in the background. She'd finish my hair in usually an hour or two and I'd go back to my room to sleep in the cornrows, which I would undo and style in the morning to wear for the next three or four days. It saved me countless time and, and money at the salon and made me get more comfortable with my natural hair. In every sense of the word to a Black 19-year-old college sophomore, she was a lifesaver. But by senior year, things were different. I was now one of five Black students in my major, one of two in my minor, one of a few more in my dorm, a few less in my gen eds, and one of a lot more in my friend group, thanks to her. I was more established in my classes. I held more leadership positions on campus. I was BSA president now. I had people to lead, knees to turn into them's. I worked more jobs. I'd travel abroad. And I was wearing my hair in box braids now, a style I could get one time and wear for months on end. I didn't need the cornrows anymore. The time we spent together dwindled as she was working and I was working. She was one year into pledging one sorority and I was one year away from pledging another. She had a boyfriend or two here and there as time went by. I did not. We were growing. Not necessarily apart, but not necessarily together, either just slightly away from each other, but still within each other's orbits. Whenever I did see her, it was all love. She would catch me up on the guy she was seeing, spill some tea on some friends we had in common, sing silly songs we made up, share what she wanted for her future. She is the only friend with whom I can confidently say there was never any beef, strife, discord, or misunderstanding ever. We never even reached an impasse. As school was coming to a close, I was collecting all my ear- earliest and fondest memories and unsurprisingly found her in almost all the good ones. Then on Sunday, April 22nd, just two weeks shy of graduation, we got the news. There was a party. Several of my friends were there. I wasn't. Like most nights after a party, people got hungry. Some went to IHOP, some drove through a McDonald's or a Taco Bell. One went to Waffle House. She went to Waffle House. And in the early hours, as Saturday night became Sunday morning, an active shooter showed up. And as he left, he took her and three other lives with him. And she was gone. At 21 years old, D. Ebony Groves was gone for good. It's funny how when things start nearing the end, all you can seem to think about is the beginning. It almost made it worse. I was already thinking about her more. I had already collected the memories. Now when I think of her or her family or her friends, I feel ill, I feel numb. Now every memory of four years of my life is quite literally colored red. My once internal soundtrack of endless questions now faded into one nearly silent whisper. Out of all of us, Lord, why her? Perhaps the weirdest thing about a funeral for a friend is that even though we're all there for them, it's the only time when they're the only one who doesn't show up because they're gone. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Kayla. Really appreciate you sharing that story with us. It's a gift to get to hear it. I hope you'll come back and tell more stories for us here. Uh, 10 by nine, it'd be great to have you. Uh, Before we move on, we'd love to ask you the same question that everybody else. So before COVID lockdown happened, where, where, where had you gone recently?
5: I'm pretty sure it was St. Louis where my grandma lives. Technically I'm in LA, but I went to Nashville, like kind of right at the beginning of COVID and came back to LA. So you could sort of say Nashville, but truly before COVID it was St. Louis around Thanksgiving. Just to
0: visit your grandmother?
5: Yeah, we go every every Thanksgiving and usually Mother's Day or like Easterish. Fantastic.
0: Great. Thanks Kayla. So glad that you were here. Let's give it up for all of our storytellers snaps all the way around for all six. A beautiful night. Thank you all so much. That means that we've now done seven years of ten by nine every month, except for the two or three months we had to cancel at the beginning of COVID. But seven years of storytelling uh, has been a real joy. We're ready to start our eighth next. Uh, start our eighth uh, year uh, next month. So we hope that you'll come back for that as always. If you've been here before you know that our theme uh, for our anniversary is uh nashville so we will be telling stories about things that have to do with our city in some way um so that may be it doesn't have to be like that. nashville is the feature it may just be that the story took place in nashville and it's a backdrop it could be that nashville comes up in the story in some way like maybe the show nashville or you talk about nashville on a trip overseas so as with any theme that we do at 10x9, it's not meant to be an agenda, so to speak, more of sort of like a launching point to get some ideas going. So uh, that's your theme for September. Any story that has in some way something to do with Nashville, uh, and it could, as I say, it could just be a story that happened here, which is totally fine. Uh, if you would like to tell a story, you can uh, go to our website. I have just put that in the chat box, 10x9nashville.com, and then there's a tab that says contact, and you can, uh, you can click that and fill out the form. Uh, so that you can tell a story with us next time. I may try the two sentence thing again next time. So if you don't have a long story you wanna tell in Nashville, you can start thinking now about a two sentence story that might work for that theme and that'd be great. Uh, Yeah, Rob, are you good? Rob is good. So now I'm gonna turn it over to my uncle, Rob McRae, who's gonna give us our understory for the night. All you, Rob.
6: Tonight, Nashville, they were gone and we were gone. Dad took us from the LA beaches to the New Mexico mountains where bears seemed to outnumber people. But after watching the bears by the headlights and riding with a truck driver to the diner, we came to love small town life in the clouds. Our father's journey took him from the bedroom to church to the institution. We were frightened by the fervor of faith, but dad was drawn to the control through fear. We returned from down under, but our father never came back. In the golden light, Tom told us right now is as good as it will ever get. But now, after the Alps and race cars and 35 years of a better life, we are grateful for that moment of clarity. We could not stop the dissection to determine the cause of death of a dying dementia patient. Her self-inflicted wound and endless infections and long life led to the words, no more. But the dash of her life would not be gone. Chessie could spell and gave generous gifts of undead snakes and rodent innards She went to cat heaven and mouse hell, and we heard loss in the shape of a sound. But to the end, she was proud she was not a dog. It was a different kind of being the only one. She was the lifesaver who saw us. We found a family of validation and then grew slightly away. She went to the Waffle House and was gone. And now everything is colored red. Good night. Thank you so much, Rob.
0: Brilliant, well done as always. Such a gift to have your understory. I have to show you all a quick thing before you leave. So Rob's my uncle, he's my dad's older brother and uh, my dad's on here as well. You can see him with the Annette McRae down there. Um, so uh, Rob is one of the only people who's been with me at 10 by 9 from the beginning, from the very first one, September, 2013. But my grandmother showed me a picture today that shows that our storytelling collaboration goes much farther back. So I'll show you this picture. So. <laughs> here is uh here's uncle rob with the famous mustache teaching me about the beauty of story so that's how far back that we go with our storytelling so thank you all so much for your stories. thanks for listening uh please send us some story ideas for nashville and we'll see you next time take care bye everybody that's us friends thanks for listening to our stories a special thanks to all the storytellers and to the 10 by 9 team the understorier rob mcrae the editor, John Sloop, and our podcaster, Gayathri Narsimham. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at 10x9 Nashville, and hop on over to our website, 10 by 9 nashvillecom to keep up with the events, the past stories, and to peruse our tips for how to be a good storyteller. I'm your host, Michael McRae, and remember, everybody
3: has a story.